So the name of the game here is recognizing when are we in the red zone? How do we get out? And then how do we increase our capacity for dealing with stuff? How do we make our green zone wider? And the image that I've had, especially since uh, the pandemic and then all of the social unrest and now all the political stuff, at least in the United States that's going on, is how do you be an island of calm in a sea of chaos, right? And that, that's my hope for you for in, in taking this program. Like, how do you be an island of calm while everything around you is kind of in this crazy place? So one way we can think about that is how do we return? How do we recognize we're in the red zone, get out of the red zone and come back into the green zone and then increase our capacity to be in the green zone, okay? So that's what I wanna talk about next. Because when we talk about emotion, right? Emotion is energy plus information. I think that we are oftentimes, excuse me, threatened or feel very uncomfortable with the energy that emotion can bring. And so we try to push it off. And so one way that we can do that is increase our capacity to be able to deal with those kind of emotional states. And that's what I want to talk about now. Okay. So how do we build capacity to experience intense emotion? And this, I think, is increasingly going to become a necessary leadership skill, right? It's not about cognition. It's not about how smart you are. It's simply, do you have a nervous system, a physiological capacity to deal with intensity and not get thrown into the black zone or the red zone, okay? So, in fact, uh, Bob Johansson, who is... Uh, uh, one of the one of the leaders of uh, of the Institute for the Future, which is a Palo Alto think tank, it's been projecting uh, technological trends for the last fifty years with a great amount of accuracy. In his newest book called "The New Leadership Competencies," you know he talks about fear management as one of the necessary leadership skills we will need to have because let's face it, we're going to. We're going to face increasingly scary things. And so how do we do this? So one way we do this, right, is recognizing that fundamentally all emotions are our sensations in the body, right? Again, meditation means familiarization. So familiarize yourself with what intensity feels like and, and increase your capacity of acceptance to to deal with that reality, right? So like right now, right? What does uncertainty feel like for you? It might be this churn, energetic churn. And how do you gradually increase your capacity to be okay with right now, here's what I'm feeling, okay? The other thing that I would recommend is breath. How do you manage breath? So one book that I highly recommend is this book called Breath by James Nestor. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, breathing? I'm going to read a book about breathing? That sounds like the dumbest thing in the world, right? I've been breathing since the day I was born, young man. So, but what we, what is, I think, important to know is that there, there's 50 years of research on what the quality of your breathing does to your health and your mind. And that is incredibly important for you to know. So, 
here's the deal. How you breathe matters, right? Now, uh, let me talk about what that means. How you breathe matters. So, any of these familiar to you? Poor quality of sleep, apnea, snoring, anxiety, can't focus, hypertension. Anybody have any of those? Anybody here know anybody like that, right? Sleep with somebody who like that? Now, what's interesting to know is that these are all associated with breathing through your mouth. What mouth breathing does is expose your lungs to dirty air, right? It's unfiltered, and that increases the risk of lung disease, right? Now, isn't that interesting to know in the time of coronavirus, which is transmitted through the air? So the other thing is that when you breathe through your mouth, you offload too much carbon dioxide, right? that your body needs an optimal balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide. And that when you offload too much carbon dioxide, it constricts circulation in, in your blood system. And then it's associated or even causes a lot of these different um, uh, uh, maladies, right? Hypertension, sleep apnea, allergies, depression, asthma, chronic sinusitis, attention deficit, diabetes, heart disease, periodontal disease, who knew, fibromyalgia, uh, cancer is exacerbated or caused by mouth breathing. Isn't that interesting? Right? It also increases anxiety. Um, I have a colleague who's a chronic mouth breather, and he is always the one in the faculty meeting to come up with the most worst case scenarios that, that, that we can discuss when we're talking about issues the school is facing without fail. And I realized, oh, wow, it's because he's a mouth breather. The, um, his Christmas present this year is going to be this book. And, and then it also decreases physical endurance. In the 1950s, it was routine for coaches to train their athletes to breathe through their nose, inhale through their nose, exhale through their nose. And that's something culturally we've forgotten. It increases physical endurance by, I think, a factor of 20%. So here's what happens when you breathe through your nose, right? It filters, warms, and humidifies the air, right? It prepares it for your body to take it in. It is also the first line of immune defense and that there's a little place right up here in your nose that produces nitric oxide, which is, which is essential in helping to battle viruses. When you breathe through your nose, more oxygen is absorbed into the body and your blood pressure decreases. Now, you might have the experience of having like one or one nostril clogged, right? Or that it flips throughout the day and that you could like do this exercise of pulling your nostrils apart. Doesn't really look good say like at a dinner party, but you could you know, pull your nostrils apart to kind of remember what was, what was breathing through your nose like. The nose is a use it or lose it organ. And if you're having a hard time breathing through your nose now, as you persist, things will start to open up. So what to do? Now, let me say, make a little pause here. When I work with somebody, I don't start out with teaching them meditation. And I, I'm far more likely to start out teaching them uh, simple breathing practices. Why? Because oftentimes, people, asking people to suddenly stop, turn their attention inward and experience what they're experiencing in a kind of very unadulterated way is extraordinarily uncomfortable. And if you're a beginner in this, it creates a dynamic where they 
this is not working for me and I don't like it. Right. And so, and then they, and then they develop an aversion to, to meditation. I think it's actually more important or more helpful in many cases to help people regulate their nervous system first before you teach a meditation practice. And so what happens? So here's some things you can try. Okay. So first, obviously breathe through your nose and then breathe slowly. And what I found is that most people can do three to four seconds, right? Three to four seconds in, three to four seconds out in a continuous range of motion. So that means you're breathing maybe like just 10 times, taking full cycles of breath, maybe 10 times. uh, um, So no, wait, 20 times a minute, right? So six, no, no, 10 times a minute. Sorry. Math is hard today, right? So, but in any case, three to four seconds in, three to four seconds out, both through your nose, right? And then, and then if you start doing this and you feel um, kind of like you're, you're getting lightheaded, then you're doing it too hard, right? I know there's no type A overachieving maniacs in this program, right? So, um, so you're probably not likely to do that, but be gentle with it, right? Be gentle with it, right? So what happens if you exhale fully? Right. And then just shifting your diagram diaphragm up as you're exhaling, pulling your diaphragm down as you're inhaling. Right. And again, just gradually give yourself a few weeks to kind of get in the habit. And you can buy online a little pulse oximeter. You can stick your finger in it and then it will measure your oxygen level. So you can you can see like what's going on. Now, if you really want to try something interesting, you can take a tiny piece of medical tape, you know, maybe as wide as this battery and at night, put it over your lips. It is not the sexiest thing in the world, but it helps you retrain your breathing pattern at night to breathe through your nose. And again, remember 20% more oxygen is coming into your body. If you do this, chances are you will wake up feeling incredibly refreshed, right? Snoring is really you choking yourself. And so if you want, get some, you know, uh, micropore medical tape, just a tiny bit. It doesn't have to be some, you know, silence of the lambs thing, just a little bit over your lips and then see what happens, right? Try it for two weeks. Uh, you'll also find that I think your, 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 your nostrils will open up. And then if you really want to try something interesting, uh, in your next shower, gradually turn off the hot water and, and, and condition your body to be comfortable with cold water. And that stimulates the nervous system. That builds resilience. And, uh, um, and uh, if you're like me, I think you'll find that you find it at some point it becomes incredibly invigorating and that you actually find hot showers to be uh, unappealing. So just try it. Okay, and see what happens. So, one more thing, okay? This is the big boy, big girl part of the conversation. When we talk about managing the nervous system, oftentimes people who have a hard time managing the nervous system uh, will have experienced some kind of trauma from which they have not fully healed or repaired. Okay, so I'm gonna put on the screen a list 
of potentially traumatic experiences. So just to warn you, right? Uh, take a look at this, right? These are all potential sources of trauma. And in my work, I would say, I find that at least a third of my students will come in the door with some kind of unhealed trauma, right? Which meant they were either an abusive relationship or they were a, uh, they had some kind of car accident, uh, a sports accident, um, medical procedure, right? Difficult birth, you know, their own birth was difficult. Uh, they experienced miscarriage, a, you know, and then and then all the other panoply of human experiences that we could go through, chronic discrimination, and then another one, even witnessing traumatic events, right? Living with severe chronic illness. So let me ask you right now, if reading this list makes you feel uncomfortable, then I might ask whether there's something that needs your attention. And what I would strongly urge you to do is even though whatever may have happened may have happened a long time ago, right? You think, okay, that's all history. Um, it doesn't bother me from day to day anymore. Um, you know, I'm good, man. You know, we don't need to open up that box. Then I would ask you really to take it seriously because unrepaired trauma is like leaving a garden hose on in your backyard. You may not see it, you might not hear it, but it's leaking and it's affecting how you're perceiving the world, right? And it's using up energy and resources, right? To kind of keep that down, keep that in your non-conscious process. And so I've worked with leaders who have made tremendous transformative leaps because they took this seriously. Right. And so my suggestion is really to take it seriously, right? Take your own experiences seriously. Don't pass it off and say, oh, you know, this happens to everybody or, uh, uh, you know, it's, as I said, it's, un, it's old, it's old hat. It's old, it's kind of ancient history. I don't need to deal with this, right? It's not ancient history. At some point it, it comes back, right? One way you know it comes back is that maybe you're going along in the green zone and suddenly something triggers you into the red zone or suddenly something triggers you and you drop into the black zone, right? So instead of this kind of nice, easy motion in, in your nervous system, you have like jagged motion, right? Or dramatic motion. So part of, I think, our responsibility as adults is to heal this kind of stuff. We may not have been responsible for what have happened to us, but I do think we are responsible for repairing it and healing it, at, le at the very least for ourselves, but also if you're in a position of responsibility and having to make pressured decisions or having people's lives depending on your action, right? That helps us be responsible. Or that, that I think is an imperative to, uh, ask us to be responsible for our own healing. And my other suggestion is to find a somatically oriented practitioner. And the reason being is that talk therapy, to be frank, does not effectively heal trauma, right? What trauma is, is that your nervous system is stuck, right? It's stuck on high or it's stuck on low. And you need somebody who can work with that at that level to, to repair that. And here are two links 
And then as you do this, as you do your own healing work, somebody wrote me uh, between last, last session, uh, you know, saying, uh, you know, I, I realized that, you know, something, something inside me is really deeply wounded and maybe what I need is healing. And, you know, you don't do this work for too long before once you dig far enough, you find that it's actually all about healing and that when those things are healed. And one of the good news, one of the good things about living at this moment in history is that we know how to heal it. Right. And, and we know how to heal it very effectively. And so once those things become healed, right, your capacity to deal with the suffering of other people becomes all the more enhanced. Your capacity to become an, an, not only an effective leader, but a great leader becomes even more enhanced. And so that's why I would highly recommend you uh, take a look at this, okay? So something to try for next time. Once a day, ask yourself, what zone am I in, right? Take your own temperature, right? Become familiar. And then develop a conscious awareness of what the experience of each zone is like. And then from there, the zones of the people that are important to you. And what is that like? And then simply notice your own breathing patterns, right? Notice when you're holding your breath, right? Which a lot of people do when they're typing a difficult email or are, or on a difficult phone call, right? Understand what your breathings are, what your breathing patterns are, right? Just watch it for a while and then try nose breathing, right? Three seconds, four seconds in, three, four seconds out. Just try that, right? And then you be the judge of your own nervous system, right? And start with what's, what's a comfortable tempo for you and then build from there. You know, my martial arts teacher could inhale to a count of 15 and exhale to a count of 15, which just seemed superhuman for me when I first started working with him. But this really is the foundation and um, start to start to build up skill, and then you'll start to see other things change. Your quality of focus will get better. Your anxiety level will go down, um, which I think probably not unuseful things to have in your utility belt at this moment in history. So that's all I have for now, right? I maybe take a minute and uh, uh, write down what was valuable about this conversation today, and what did you take away from it. And if you have questions, you know, feel free to write. I'm happy to entertain them or you can, you know, write the staff. They are absolutely uh, more than willing to help you. But thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to do this and be here with you. So good luck and may the force be with you. As always, we love to hear from you. Please share your insights with us in the sandbox or write to us at innermba at soundstrue.com. And thanks for being part of the Inner MBA and for both the inner and outer work you do to benefit others.